Hey, David B., will you count me down this time, dude? Yeah, uh, from any number? Well, no, see, here we go again. We no, see, Saul likes to try to count me down from 20, okay? And I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? You're killing me. Then last week with Roka, Saul was on and guest co-host, and he's, he's like, what, from five? And I'm like, no, dude, three. Come on. Come on, dude. Come on. But no, but no, it's cool. It's it's a fair question because this is the first time I've asked you to count me down. But mm-hmm. Saul, like I've asked him before, and dude started from twenty the first time. Come on, buddy. You know he should have known that second time last week. But three would be fine if you don't mind. Thank you very much. Well, I just want to say to Saul, like he clearly missed an opportunity to count down from four, three, two, one. And hello, everybody. Welcome to SEN Afterlife. I am Jay Wade, and holy shit, fuck Batman, have we got one today? That's right, guys. We're trucking along now in episode number 25 of this SEN Live After Show. Ooh, I barely got that one out that time. Normally, I, you guys probably don't notice this. I notice in the editing, but I take a deep breath in between the, uh, the SEN Live After Show. I tried to get it out there, but I didn't do it. But uh, we've got a special guest co-host this week. You guys know him. You love him. You cannot fucking live without him. He is not Mallory Knox, which would be scary if he was, because she's hot and I'm not attracted to him. But everybody, you know him. David B., what's up, buddy? Hey, what's up, bud? Happy to be here. Excellent. Man, thank you so much for joining me and helping me out this week, especially with this guest that we've got for you guys. Uh, Been looking forward to talk to him for a while. Um, he, he, and he just recently had a book published, uh, and, and we are going to talk about that here a little bit later on. That book, though, I will tell you the name of it now, is Back from the Future, A Celebration of the Greatest Time Travel Story Ever Told. Brad Gilmore, how you doing? My name is Brad Gilmore, but you might know me by another name. You might know me as The Boat. What's going on, guys? I'm excited. David, Jay, what's going on, my guys? Oh, totally excited, man. Stoked to have you here. And uh, I'm glad that that's the first time anyone's matched my enthusiasm uh, (laughs) coming into this show, dude. And uh, it it just, yeah, yeah. In fact, I've had David B. one time told me that I was straight up. He he told me to stop and start again because I was too enthusiastic. Did I? I don't don't recall Uh, that. You know, David B., you know know this. If if you've ever seen the great film, this is Spinal Tap. Some... Amplifiers go to ten. Mine goes to eleven. That's right. And that's why I'm ready. But wait, but wait, but wait. My question is, why don't you just make eleven ten, and then make the new ten eleven? It's a good question. Now, but can you make my album cover any more black than it already is? <laughs> See, I've uh, not seen that movie, so I'm missing out on a lot here. But it's cool. It's cool. I know what movie you're talking 11. about, though. Yes. No, that's a must see. You know, it's funny. <sighs> I think it was actually brought up. I don't want to like jump the gun, but I think it was brought up on SEN Live this mm-hmm. week. They were talking about uh, Rob Reiner, uh, direct, mm-hmm. director mm-hmm. Rob Reiner, and he did that movie. Um, and it's it's brilliant. That is a brilliant movie. This is Spinal yeah. Tap. If no one's ever seen it, like it's phenomenal. I would concur with Brad. It's such a hilariously good film, and it's it's so perfect for the era it came out in. That whole like eighties where like rock and roll bands were like a really really big thing. They were like the the boy bands of today. It's so good, dude. When they get lost in Cleveland, uh, the whole like these go up to eleven. Uh, yeah. And if you're if you're a musician, there's like there's like a joke I personally love where he's playing piano. It's like I wrote it in G minor. It's the saddest of all keys. 
<laughs> oh my it, gosh. It's great. It's great because yeah, you're right. Like there was all these hair metal bands at the time, like the poisons and the and, and the white snakes and the mm-hmm. all, all all those, you know. Um and it's such a brilliant it's such a brilliant I don't know, take it's like a social commentary on the music of the time, mm-hmm. but it also celebrates the music at the same time. So it, it really was able to ride that fine line between parody and um, almost a, uh, a a celebration, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I would say it's it's parody without mockery, if that makes sense. Like mm, that's it, a great it, way to put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, de- it definitely like celebrates the era, and also kind of points out how ridiculous some of the stuff was, but like in a very loving way for sure. I love that film so much. Man, I'm I'm gonna make what may be a controversial statement for you guys. I don't know, um, but it was brought up on SEN Live today about Holy Grail, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and and how great it is and everything. And I want to say that I had not seen that movie ever. I'm 40 years old, almost 41, and uh, well, Monday actually, woot woot to me. Um, so I'm almost 41 years old, and I finally started watching that movie about probably five months ago or so, maybe six. I made it about 20 minutes into it. I could not stand it. The only thing that I found humorous was the guy walking behind them with the coconuts as the, the horse's hooves clap, clapping. Um, I just, I it, I didn't get it, man. It, I did not find it to be funny at all. It, I was, I kept looking to see how long was left in it. And you know, I, and I had the same problem with Willow too. I tried to watch Willow for the first time last November when I got Disney Plus, and I was scrolling through to see what there was. Uh, yeah, I was like, okay, I'll try Willow out. I'd never seen it before. Even as a kid, I wanted to see it. I made it about 25, 30 minutes in and just couldn't do it. I mean, am I missing something, guys? Um, on you know, I think that some of those comedies, right? They're they're so of their era. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you didn't see it or appreciate it in, in that time period, or at least like soon thereafter, some of those can wear on you, right? Because I showed a friend of mine, Fletch, which I think is one of the funniest movies ever. I love Fletch. I want to watch it all the time. And, you know, I mean, I'm born in the early 90s, and, and, and this so is this person too. And the, the 80s comedy for them just didn't land. And for me, like I had older brothers and sisters, so – I was always watching stuff like that. So it kind of landed with me. So maybe that's the case. It's just the comedy doesn't land with you because you didn't see it in its era. Yeah, maybe so. It could be that too. And correct me if I'm wrong. Like it's a, it's a British comedy, isn't it? Right. I've never seen it either. If I'm being honest. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it could also be that too. Like the, uh, the cultural aspect of it, how like, the dry witty humor just maybe just doesn't resonate with you. I normally like that, that British dry, Humor stuff, um, and I I do like some Monty Python stuff. I now I can't name any of it, but I have seen some of their stuff that I like. But I don't know. Anyway, um, that that is one thing they talked about. Well, they talked about movies and directors and mm-hmm. uh, actors this week, um, which which is cool that they're they're doing something like that, and it's been really interactive with the fans, which has made it even more even more better, listen to me, which has made it even better to listen to. But uh, one day they were talking about the favorite uh, living actors and actresses, because, I mean, there's there are tons who have passed. But um, I'll get us going here with a couple I wrote down. Um, Gary Oldman is my personal favorite living actor. Um, I just, I love the fucking guy. He does great work. 
And um, I think we all have an actor or actress that, uh, and it's not in a rude way, but there's just something about them, their personality that rubs us the wrong way, and we don't care for them as a person. But they're really talented and great at, at, uh, at their craft. And it really annoys us too. And one of one of those for me is Leo Di- DiCaprio. Um, dude annoys me on a personal level. I don't know him, so I could I could love him if I ever met him. But from what I've seen, dude just kind of annoys me. But it then annoys me that I fucking love his movies so damn much. The guy's amazing. But uh, what do you guys think? Who are some? Some living actors and actresses that you just, they're just the fucking bee's knees. Killing from um, Pookie toward Kate there. Uh, I'll go first. I, you know, you just named one of them. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio for me, I don't have anything against him personally at all. <laughs> right, right. Like I said, I don't know him, <laughs> he so. He didn't run me the wrong way. Uh, I like Leo. Uh, I think he's a pretty suave cat. And, you know, the man's run around. He on is. Yachts. He is. He's, he's run around on yachts with Rihanna. So yeah. I can't really hate the man too much. Um, but yeah, he's one of the guys who one of my favorite Steel, Steven Spielberg movies is um is Catch Me If You Can. And I just yes. think that Leo in that movie is phenomenal. And if you were to ask me, like, gun to the head, who are three, you know, actors or actresses that you just love at, at you know, right now, it would be Leo, it'd be Brad, and it'd be Margot. And that's why I love mm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love that movie. I saw mm. it the first time and I wasn't sure, right? I liked it. But I was like, well, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't really a story here. Like, it wasn't a traditional story. Right. And then I've, I watched it on a plane. Actually, David, I watched it on the plane going to the maybe it was the spectacular or the draft, one of the two, mm-hmm. uh, going to LA from Houston. And I was like, this movie is awesome. Everybody nails their performances. So those are a couple. And then uh, speaking of Leo and Margot Wolf, in Wolf of Wall Street, I think oh. Matthew McConaughey has one of the greatest one-off, like, 10-minute appearances in a movie of all time. He's only in the movie for, like, six or seven minutes. Um, and he has that incredible scene in the restaurant where he's talking about the game of, of you know, stock trading or whatever. And I think it's one of the greatest one-off scenes. And I saw him in this movie called The Gentleman. Did either one of y'all see that? I haven't I think seen it, it yet. A, That's uh, on my list. That's definitely on my list. I think it was uh, – I can't remember who directed it. Was it Guy Ritchie? Uh, I, th- I, I think it's Guy Ritchie. Is it Guy Ritchie? I'm Is it Guy Ritchie? Sure. Yeah. He um he was so good in that one too. So McConaughey, I don't know. I like a classical actor. You know, I, 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 some of my favorite movies are the Ocean's Eleven films. And and I, even though I don't think George Clooney is like the greatest actor of all time, he's just so damn cool, man. That's why I like The Rock. The Rock's just so cool. Mm-hmm. When you see him on when you see him on the screen, you're like, God, I want to hang out with that guy. So those are the qualities I look for in an actor. I, I guess if I'm looking for, you know, who just blows me away by their acting. Um, I think the names will always be the same. The um, I think Christian Bale has been on a great run mm-hmm. as of late, especially in Ford versus Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a, a big, that movie was so great. I'm a big James Mangold guy e- anyway. So I like pretty much all of his movies. So those are some of the names that come to me when I think of working today actors. And come on, man, Margot Robbie. Well, let's just let's just be honest, brother. Man. Brother. Brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I, oh, God. Yeah. Wolf of Wall Street. I love Leo. There's there's nothing I've seen Leo in that I was like, I felt like I wasted my time. That guy's so brilliant. Uh, in terms of like g- his best performances for me, Wolf of Wall Street definitely. That movie's so good, and he just goes for it. Um, I also really love his performance in Django Unchained. 
because he's so mm-hmm. despicable in that film. Like he's truly a villain, and he's just chewing the scenery. But he's not overdoing it either. Like he he finds that perfect balance of being kind of like super villainous, but never to the point of cheesy. And I I love that film. And then that the story goes right when he's having that infamous scene where he like slams the table and mm-hmm. he legit cut his wrist, but he just kept going. It's so good. I love that. Yeah, Leo for sure. It's like a top actor for me. I have also agree Christian Bale. There's nothing that he's done that I didn't like. I love Ford versus Ferrari. It's such a great film. Matt Damon is really good too, but Christian Bale that's definitely steals the spotlight a little bit from Matt Damon in that movie. In terms of my favorite actors, the ones I've always loved are the ones where I don't see the actor anymore or I'm just super enthralled by what they're saying and doing. So a big one for me is Daniel Day-Lewis because that guy just mm, – yeah disappears into everything he does like it's the type of actor you have to remind yourself like that's the actor because if you're just watching the film you totally forget the person and you just are believe the character that he is um another guy i like a lot is denzel washington oh yeah i love him so much yeah uh gangs uh you know um god just everything deja vu uh men on fire american gangster that's alpaca you blocked that (laughs) (laughs) he's so good man he's so great i love him too and i guess if i had to choose like another third one like just stealing brad's format of like gun to my head oh god there's so many good ones um ah i'm i'm blanking on like a good third one i would have probably said christian bell too because i love him so much machinist um american psycho Equilibrium. You guys ever see that film? Oh yes, it's, many times. It's so underrated, but he's so good in that too. You no, know, Sean Bean's performance in that is really, really it's, good. Yeah. It really is. I guess I would say I guess I would also say like uh an actor I really like I know he still has a lot to prove is uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. I really actually enjoy him a lot as an actor too. There's nothing that he's done so far that I've been like, Oh, that was not a good film and not a great performance. Like he really gives it his all too. So I'll choose that. That those are good. And you know, a uh, couple things to go piggyback off David is I watched uh, the Nice Guys the other day mm. um, mm-hmm. with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling is a, is a class actor, man. Mm-hmm. That guy's yeah, good. he is. He's, He's real good. good. You know, I always used to get him and Jake Gyllenhaal mixed up. I'm sure I'm not the only person who did that, but oh, he's, too. he's he's really good. In, in in pretty much anything that he's in, I when you said Denzel, I flashed back to remember the Titans and he was even in Remember the Titans and had a memorable role. Uh, Ryan Gosling, that is. But the, uh, left side, strong side, best sports movie of all time. But when Easily. I when I think about a <laughs> actor who disappears into a role, he doesn't do it in every role. But I, I told you I love these '90s movies, man. And there's there's one uh, toward the top of the list that I love. And it's Steven Spielberg, and it's Hook. And uh, Dustin Hoffman disappears mm-hmm. into Captain Hook. I don't see him in that role at all. I can't hear him. I can't visualize him. I didn't even know it was Dustin Hoffman till like five years ago. I had no clue. I never knew who that was. And I think that he kills it as Hook. That movie's good, too. Yeah. Strike yeah, for Peter. sure. Strike true. Yeah, and, and I I want to jump back. Uh, I got a question here that came to me that I've I've brought up and asked others uh, their opinions on in the past uh, regarding the uh, Leo scene in Django where he actually cut his hand during filming and continued the scene. Uh, in that is Carrie Washington is the female actress there, right? Yeah. 
Yep. Is that her name? All right, cool. I knew it was Washington, but I wasn't sure on her first name. Now, when he wipes his hand and the blood on her face, she obviously didn't know that was going to happen before they started filming that scene, right? Now, I've yeah. always wondered, because, I mean, I, I did musicals and plays, took some acting classes as a kid. I loved, like, acting and stuff like that. So I've always questioned myself on this, but I'll question you guys. How do you think you would react if you were on the receiving end of that? Like, you could either take it as you're really into it and you recognize the amazing the amazing scene and what's happening here and you go with it, or you're a little grossed out and you're ki- quite frankly kind of pissed that some dude just rubbed his blood all over your face. Um, I think that uh, it's probably more the former than the latter. I think whenever yeah. you're in in some in that story, I mean, I come from the business of pro wrestling, and stuff like that happens all the time, where something you didn't plan happens, and you have to react live. In that case, it's in front of a live audience and television audience at home, not on a closed set. But I think that any of the great storytellers, it doesn't matter if you're an actor, you're a pro wrestler, you're an author, you're whatever. If something happens in a in a moment of spontaneity that just feels right. And you, as the actor or the storyteller, make the decision to go forward with it. I think someone on your level or someone in that room will feel that energy, too, and they'll rock with it. It's improv. Let's go with it. and Let's see where it takes us. Once mm-hmm. the director yells cut, that's when I get out of character. But in between time, as long as that red light's on, we're rocking with this like it's real. So I think that probably Carrie just like, hey, she probably thought this is great in her head. She's probably like, this is awesome. Um, and, and they just rolled with it and, you know, we're talking about it all these years later. Yeah. Yeah. But, but imagine if it was someone like a Howie Mandel, Mandel, who has issues with germs and stuff like that. I mean, dude, you could, if you don't know who that actor is, you could do something like that that could really get them to break, Um, maybe not even break character, but roll with it. And then after the scene, just blow up. I could see that happening. Yeah. I mean, sure. I, I mean, I can yeah. see that happening. Yeah, I, I have great work. I have, I have a question for for Brad. It's a little yeah. bit of a sidetrack, but do you remember that controversy? I think it was with Abdullah the Butcher that allegedly he had some kind of like he had like HIV or something like that. And, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm probably confusing my wrestlers. Abdullah is the one who puts like he keeps cutting himself, right? Like he has all those scars yeah. with like the razors mm-hmm. and stuff. And there was a wrestler who was suing him. Because he claimed that Abdullah gave him HIV or something like that, because he kept cutting him, he told him not to, and then they hit because tra- of they're both bleeding, they both bladed, the blood supposedly they transmitted that disease. Have you heard I, about I, this controversy? I, I haven't heard that. I, I I don't know anything. No, I, I mean I know that in 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 wrestling nowadays, you know, there, there's there's very little blood, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that that might be a factor, but I've never heard that before. It was um <laughs> God, I'm blanking out on the guy who was like suing him and Abd- abdullah of course came out and be like and said that's preposterous like that's so dumb but i think i'm i think i'm gonna have to look that up but yeah i was in in terms of like the whole improv thing going back um yeah it's like brad said like in the middle of a performance when you're all together and you all know what the energy is and 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 what the uh i guess the the message you're trying to send uh it could uh it could be a, a spontaneous moment, but it could be what we call like happy accidents, you know what I mean? And it might be the thing yeah. that's that's most memorable is like something that wasn't planned is like the most memorable thing. Uh I'll let you guys know I had a performance at the rodeo before it closed down. And in the middle of the performance, I legit broke a string in the middle of it. 
and, I, and, I, and I'm the only guitarist on stage. So the band's playing. And I just look at the bassist and I just like, I give him that, like, keep going. And I quickly look at a guy and I'm like, hey, man, can you go get me my pack of strings and my guitar? And he brings me my guitar and I'm literally singing while I'm pulling the string into my <laughs> guitar and then tuning it. And for a lot of people on that day, that's like the one thing they remember about our show was like the guitar is just in the middle of a song, just retuned his broken string guitar. And it was like, it's those moments that are like, people go, they were there for that kind of moment. Like mine's a little bit, obviously it's, it's a cool moment for me. It's not as significant as like, if you're like at a wrestling event and something spontaneous, spontaneous happens that kind of further enhances the audience's, uh, a joy of experiencing that moment, but it's usually those happy accents that people tend to remember the most. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would imagine too, like in the moment, Carrie Washington was like, Holy shit, this is amazing. Like what we're doing. And it's yeah. just the fact too, that Leo just kept going for it. Like he never oh, broke character. And I would love to see hear and see a lot more stories of movies for, throughout the entire history of fucking filmmaking of little things like that, because um, you know it's littered with things like that, the history of filmmaking is. And um, and just speaking of Tarantino, we'll segue here into some directors. Um, see, I have a hard time with the directors. I'm more of a I'm more of an actor kind of a person. I tend to connect with actors more than directors. But there are two directors, Tarantino and Kevin Smith, that I watch and buy and support everything they do. And but they're just to me they're cop out answers because of course who's not gonna put Tarantino or Kevin Smith on their uh, uh, up there on the list? So this one I need you guys to help me with because uh, like I said I've I've followed actors more than I have directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, for me you know I mean there's always the classic names of, of the Spielbergs of the world. I mean we just look at the things that he was able to do. Um. All, all, all the variety and the depth of work in his body of work. It's why he's going to go down as the greatest of all time uh, when it's all said and done. But other people, like I mentioned a minute ago, James Mangold, I'm a big fan of, um, not only from what he did with Logan and the Wolverine, but, um, and aside from uh, Ford versus Ferrari, one of my favorite movies of all time, top five for me is Walk the Line. And he did that one with Joaquin Phoenix uh, back in the uh, mid 2000s. And I think that if you go look at him, I think he's done 310. He's got a whole list of stuff that you're like, wow, he did that. And so he's up there for me. And then, um, of course, I got to give uh, Robert Zemeckis a lot of love, not only for Back to the Future, but Romancing the Stone, Forrest Gump. He's had another litany of just hit movies and, and his 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 um array of different genres and styles that he's tried over the years, even going stuff like Polar Express and whatnot. I think that He's a he's a really talented talented filmmaker. So those are kind of some of the names that, that pop up. Of course, you're always gonna like the Scorsese's and like you said, the Tarantinos of the world. They're real big name directors, but those are some people that pop into my head. I'm becoming a huge fan of uh, uh, Taika Waititi. Uh, Jojo Rabbit was on my was number one on my list of uh, top ten movies I'd seen last year. I love that movie. And I am just looking forward to much more work from him. Um, but yeah, that his name just popped into my head. Uh, but uh, what what do you think, David? What what do you got going on in your mind when when you think of uh, directors and in great movies and uh, who's putting out some solid work out there? Oh, for sure, I agree with Brad on Steven Spielberg. Like, if his name's attached to it, I'll 
more than likely watch a film. Uh, another uh, director like that, obviously like Tarantino and Scorsese, but for me also Christopher Nolan. Like there hasn't, I don't honestly for me there's not a bad film in Christopher Nolan's uh, filmography. Like everything he's made, I've loved. Memento, Prestige, Interstellar, obviously the Dark Knight trilogy, and. Uh, I was really looking forward to go see Tenet this summer. Hopefully, uh, in some way, we'll get to see it, regardless of the situation we're in. But he's one of those act. He's one of those uh, directors too, where like for to me, he's very versatile. He's he's very original, and I just love the fact too that like when he has like these these movies that you know are going to be big, and yet no one knows nothing about them. Like the whole thing about Tenet, no one really knows what it's about. And it was kind of the same marketing he did for um for um Inception. And that movie's so good. I love Inception so much. And talk about another great Leo performance. Leonardo DiCaprio's in that film, and uh, and I think uh, Inception was like the big film that kind of really helped like Tom Hardy really break out as like a leading man type of actor as well because he's super great in that film as well. And he, yeah, uh, Christopher Nolan, James Mangold for sure. Uh, Logan is so good. It's uh, uh, I was telling um, who was I? T- I was telling Ben Bateman and Andrew Guy like. Logan and the Dark Knight are always fighting in my head of like the best comic book movie <laughs> of all time because Logan is so great, so good. James and Three Tons of Yuma is so great too. A lot of people tend to hate the the Wolverine, so the third act. I think it's a fine film. Um, another one I really love too is Edgar Wright. Uh, uh, yeah, Edgar Wright. Um, gosh, who else? Those are the ones that pop into my head right now as we, yeah. So. Yeah. Pretty solid I'm, list of actors also, and uh, directors there. I like um. Oh my god, I just bl- blanked on his name, just because he's done some. Uh, who directed? Give me who directed uh, uh, the first Captain America movie. What's his name? Joe Johnson. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Oh shit, that's a good question. Is it Joe Johnson? I think it's Joe Johnson. I know that's a weird pick for a lot of people. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Joe Johnson, but he's done some movies that I actually like a lot. And maybe maybe not everyone does. I, th- I think I'm. I hope I'm getting his name right. I might be wrong. What's his I'm, name? Okay. I'm, I'm looking it up here. See if I can. Uh, let's see. Um. Uh, Joe Johnson. Yep. Joe Johnson. Yep. yep. Is it Johnson? Okay, so it is Joe Johnson. Yeah, I like a lot of his movies, man. Uh, when you look at when you look at some of the stuff that he's done, I mean, they're not all the greatest movies of all time. Don't get me wrong, but he's done stuff like The Rocketeer, The Page Master. Jumanji, Jurassic Park, uh, Captain America, like I said before, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So he did a lot of movies that I told you I'm a big 90s guy, and a lot of those came in the, in the in the mid to late 90s. And I don't know, I just always liked, I always liked, whenever I see his name, I'm like, oh, I'm probably going to like this movie. Ooh, and yeah, directed- I like Jurassic Park 3. So what? <laughs> he, he directed uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981. Yeah, Joe Johnston. Oh, did he really? What? That's what it says here on IMDb. He is a director known for Captain America, the First Avenger, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and was, The Rocketeer. Uh, he, well, well, Raider, Raiders was Steven Spielberg. So yeah, Spielberg. I think he, he probably he was must like, have been like a second unit director yeah. or something like uh, that. Or art director or something. The, 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 hmm. Let me Because he had an extensive career. Because I, I know he even worked on Star Wars um, back in the day. I think he worked on all three of the originals. He worked on Howard the Duck. So it's a name that's been around he's been around for for a while and you know i think that he you know has he hasn't had like the longest filmography as a director but um those movies i mentioned like jumanji like who doesn't love jumanji who doesn't love the original jumanji it's phenomenal robin williams pete robin williams and the page master i love because it's oh, macaulay that's a good culkin one. yes as macaulay culkin and christopher lloyd 
mm-hmm. uh, and Whoopi Goldberg. And I think Patrick Stewart is one of the characters as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that's a solid movie, too. Yeah, Joe Johnson was the art director for Raiders of the Lost Ark. And Page yeah, Master, no one brings that up. I love that film, too. Oh, have yeah. you ever seen the Page Master, Jay? No, I have not. Never heard of it, to be honest. It's so it's good. A, it's it's great. So Macaulay Culkin is this kid who's scared of everything. And his dad is the worst dad ever. Because not only he builds him an awesome treehouse, but then he sends him in the middle of a ginormous lightning and thunderstorm to the hardware store at night on his bicycle to go get some nails, which I never understood. I'm like, it's six o'clock. You're not going to build your, your tree house today. You could do it in the morning, dad. It's Friday. Tomorrow's a weekend. We can go there together. But anyway, during this rainstorm, he falls and he, he has to run into a library. And then what happens? So he like, he goes to call his dad or something and he slips and falls and he wakes up and he's a cartoon. And then he goes on these uh, classic adventures of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Gulliver's Travels, Jack and the Beanstalk, Moby Dick, and he has to battle all these creatures to make it out of the library. It's great. I love it a lot. That's really yeah. good. Man, I'm going to have to check that out. The animation is really good, too. Oh, it's not live action? It, so it's it is and it isn't. It's half yeah. animated. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, man, that sounds interesting, man. I'm going to have to check that out for sure. I've, I've been looking for new shit to watch. Uh, especially older stuff that I've not watched before. So I've been watching a lot of old 80s and 70s cult classic horrors and shit, dude. It's been pretty cool. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, speaking of horrors, uh, uh, well, listen to me. I'm grasping for this fucking segue here. Uh, Horrors and dark, okay? Dark horrors. That's my only connection there for this segue. What a fucking moron I am. Um, but, uh, they, they did bring up the, the vice, uh, documentaries, the dark side of the ring docs that have been coming out. Um, I personally watched the Benoit one a couple weeks ago, uh, or maybe it was longer than a couple weeks ago. And Christian had Brett watch the one on the Montreal screw job. We're not going to get into that, but I did want to ask you, Brad, since you're here and it's awesome that you're on this week and they talked about this a little bit. So, uh, I, I would like your opinion on, uh, on these Vice Dark Side of the Ring documents that have been coming out. Uh, I assume you've been watching them. What are your thoughts? So, it's interesting. So, for me, I've been in the business of pro wrestling eight years now, uh, going on eight years, seven and a half. And, um, you know, during that time, you're, you're, when you walk in, you're a big fan. And, and I was watching everything, and I was into everything. And then as you uh, get a little bit older in the business, I don't know. Certain things rub you the wrong way a little bit. And I, I watched – I've only watched two of these documentaries. Um, I watched the Brawl for All one and the Jimmy Snooker one. And um, I got to be honest with you. They rub me a little bit the wrong way. And I say that to say wrestling has made such leaps and bounds since those times that they're covering. It almost reminds me of this John Oliver story from last year or the year before where he was like kind of going after the, the wrestling business and, and Vince McMahon and WWE. And I'm like – yeah, you're using things from decades ago to make your point. And this Dark Side of the Ring thing, I, don't get me wrong. I think these are stories that need to be told and they should be out there. I just – I just, I have a feel, I have a hard time not taking it as exploitive. Like, hey, we're going to show you the worst possible parts of this industry. That's our only goal. Our only goal is to show you the worst things that happen in pro wrestling. Chris Benoit, Jimmy Snuka, Bruiser Brody, The Brawl for All. We're going to just go through the bad stuff in pro wrestling 
And there's going to be no redeeming qualities in any of these human beings or any of these stories at the end of it. I get it's the dark side of the ring. But for me, when I when I watch the Brawl for All one, and Vince Russo's on there talking about, oh, the only reason I put these guys in danger of getting seriously hurt and injured was I wanted to shut JBL, John Bradshaw Layfield up. I don't know. It To me, it makes the business look bad. So um, I, I haven't watched them all. I'm not saying that I won't. I'm open-minded, but just the ones that I've seen have rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, and and you've got, you know, and you've got uh, you've got a view of it that that we don't have, and that a lot of people don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but but, you but know. I also I, I don't want to come across like, oh, I only want good things to be said about the right, right, right. wrestling, because obviously there's been a lot of bad, just like with anything. There's a lot of bad in the history of filmmaking, in the history of stand-up comedy, in the history of. I don't know, impressionist painting. I'm sure there's some really dark stories. But I feel like with wrestling, it's always the first thing people go to. Oh, let me tell mm-hmm. you about all the bad stuff of this crazy world. Let me not tell you about all the all the, all the positive things and, and about all the um, life-changing events for the good that pro wrestling has given people. I mean, people who wouldn't have had an income that large otherwise. People who may have had a checkered past who made something of themselves within the business – I don't know. Maybe it's just the kind of person I am. I like to hear those stories. Um, yeah. you know, we were talking about uh, off air about in, you know the Temple of Doom being the least visited Indiana Jones movie for me and for David, I think, as well. And mm-hmm. it's because I don't have fun when I watch it. And when I go to watch something, I, I don't know. I want there to be something redeeming about it at the end of it. I want to feel like, oh, okay, well, these ter- terrible things might have happened, but at least at the end, you know, something good came of it. And and I guess you could say, in, you know, the brawl for all, they never did it again, and that was the good that came out of it. But I don't know; it just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, I can see that. I can see and that. And I know, and I know, I'm in the minority because everyone I talk to, including Christian, who has a uh, past in the wrestling business as well, they like these a lot. Just for me, I don't know; it just rubs me the wrong way. I just remember, you remember that woman? I think her name was Nancy Grace. She was like a news anchor yeah. on either uh, HLN or Fox yeah. or mm-hmm. CNN, one of those. And one time when I think it was after was after Chris Benoit died, I think it was after Chris Benoit, the tragedy happened. You know, everyone knows the the double murder homicide suicide with with Chris Benoit. She -hmm. had a uh, a uh, no, I take that back. I think it was after the ultimate warrior died. She had a list on her screen as she was talking about the ultimate warrior. And it was the name of every wrestler who's died early or young and she was trying to make a link between the uh you know steroids and early deaths and she even had owen hart's name on there which owen hart and another Mm. just terrible tragedy yes he did die way too young he was very young man it was an awful tragedy horrific i hate that it ever happened just what a black eye on 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 the sport for something so heinous happened but it was an accident mistakes happened but don't equate that death with the death of people who abused steroids or or, or who died for other reasons. And I don't – anyway, I, I'm bringing that up because it was exploitive. She was trying to say, here's all the bad that happens in wrestling. Bad, 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 bad. Vince McMahon's the devil. WWE is the devil. Wrestling's the devil. Let's ban it. And I don't know why. These To me, these Viceland docs aren't celebrating a business at all. Now, I've talked to Booker about it on our show, Booker T, you know, Wrestling Hall of Famer. He likes them. He He doesn't have a problem with them. I do, and you know, everyone teaches own. I can yeah. see that though. I could, I could see why you wouldn't like them because it is, it is just like 
a, a, this huge telescope on like just the bad aspects of the business, right? It's like it's like the uh, the documentary Beyond the Mat. All all anybody mm-hmm. took away from it was the chair shots to Mick Foley's head, and it's like look how right. horrible this right. thing is. And it's like, and it's it's so weird for me personally because like the first match I ever watched, I went holy shit, this is wrestling. Was the I Quit match from the Royal Rumble '99? That's what made me go. Mm-hmm. I'm a wrestling fan, and to see people like have this negative aspect of it when to me it like i mean looking back it is kind of a brutal a brutal match but it's tough to watch yeah for sure but that that match and then the whole the whole pay-per-view was for me what got me into wrestling and made me go yeah i'll i'll support this so yeah watching i've only watched the chris benoit doc and i already i'm super familiar with that story it's been it's been talked to death from everybody mm-hmm. in the industry including chris jericho who's on it like he did a whole podcast of it just to see like what if they had any new takes or anything but it's, it's the same story we all know like the only like silver lining they kind of sort of give you is that is that uh chris's son is finally reunited with like his aunt and they've been estranged for like yeah. ever since ever since that death but literally the the whole two hours of it is just depressing like depressing as hell man depressing so it's, yeah and there's there's nothing really like yeah, there was nothing new, nothing in, and I don't. Yeah. I almost said informative, but that is not the right word. The word I'm looking for is something like, uh, not even educational, but something that we could take something away from it. Having, having learned something about life or ourselves or relationships or just bringing something positive away from it, and there was nothing, uh, uh, no. nothing like that for it's, me it's, when I watched it. Yeah, yeah and, and and don't get me wrong, like. Like I said, I think these stories should be told, right? I think that they should be. Um, and, and I don't want to say, well, no one should ever know about the bad things of pro wrestling because you have you have to have a few rainy days to enjoy the sunny ones. I, I, mm-hmm. I am well aware of that. Um, it's just in the ones that I've seen, just it's just in the ones that I've seen, they've just rubbed me the wrong way. And and and, and maybe it's maybe it's not justified. Maybe it is, uh, but it's it's just my opinion, and I I don't. I, if you if you're a fan of them, like go, go right ahead. Like I, I'm not I'm not trying to boycott them or saying that they shouldn't be aired. Just for me, it just rubs me the wrong way. And the um, I wanted to watch the Benoit one, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it because I was in the building, the Toyota Center, in uh whatever that was. I think it was '07. All that stuff happened, if I if I remember correctly. 06. And, um, wasn't 06. it '06? Okay, it was '06. It was, like, it was right. like shortly after Eddie Eddie died, which was '05. Yeah, Eddie died in November, I think, of '05. Yeah, so this was '06. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I was in the building for Vengeance Night of Champions, and CM Punk was going to wrestle for the ECW Championship, I believe, against Chris Benoit, who was the I think he was the champion at the time, or there was a tournament for the title. I don't really remember, mm-hmm. but I remember he was supposed to wrestle Chris Benoit for the ECW Championship. And Justin Roberts, the ring announcer, in a dark segment only to the crowd, said, um, Chris Benoit won't be able to make it tonight. Um, and John Morrison is going to be his replacement. And then we saw the John Morrison CM Punk match. And that was the day that all the stuff went down. Um, and, you know, then I remember watching Raw the next night and they said that he had passed away. And then Tuesday night, you know, everything had changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found out more details. And it's it's obviously a tragedy. It's it's horrific. Um, I um, can only sympathize with David Benoit and mm-hmm. and how he's been able to try to process this. Because for me, I look up to my father. Um, my dad is 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 everything to me. He's a role model. He's a best friend. He's a confidant. 
is the soothsayer that I go to for all of my, you know, knowledge and wisdom. And um, <clears throat> to look up to your father the way that David still does and be able to separate the, you know, horrific scenes of the last 24 hours of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I got to give him a lot of credit for not being, you know, completely torn up and not able to ever um, even speak about his dad again, because I, I can o- I can't even imagine the, the gambit of emotions that that man has felt in the you know 14 years after that event. And, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. I will say that's probably if, if we're looking for silver linings, particularly towards the Chris Benoit doc. I will say the good thing about it is it finally gives David a spotlight where it, it felt for like the last 14 years, at least to me, right? We always hear about Chris Benoit. We hear all the wrestlers that knew Chris. We've always heard like a, a, a Chavo's voice, Chavo Guerrero. We always heard his opinion. We've heard Chris Jericho's. We've heard Vicky's. But it's like no one ever, it, it feels like he gets brushed to the side sometimes too. And I would imagine, because he still goes by David Benoit, so I would imagine him having that last name too. Like he feels the the weight of all that yeah. for the last 14 years. And at least to me, it kind of felt like the, the doc for, at least for him kind of finally let him like, kind of like vent and kind of let, let go of that weight in some sense. But yeah, uh, it is, it is very, it's a heavy documentary for sure. It's a, it's, it's really sad and heartbreaking for sure, especially for him. But I mean, yeah, yeah it, it depends on who you are for sure. Yeah. I mean, as a wrestling fan, it's weird. Cause I, because like they do a Montreal screw job uh documentary mm-hmm. and I don't want to see it. Like it's been talked to death. We literally had Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels hash it out on the WWE network. So it's like what more do right. we know about that? Like I'm so over it. But yeah. Right. Yeah. The the one to watch if you're going to watch some of the Montreal screw job is is Wrestling with Shadows. Mm-hmm. Um watch Wrestling with Shadows and then watch that Bret and Shawn sit down on the network and that'll give you a really good illustration of what that was about because even though it's been talked to death dave and i agree with you like we've heard about it forever now yeah it still is such a fascinating story and and if you have never if you know nothing about wrestling or you know very little about it and you you don't know the details of the montreal screw job it's captivating it really is my girlfriend i wouldn't say that she's a wrestling fan per se i think that she's an admirer you know just because of of, of what I do and, and, and what she's seen and what I've exposed her to. But um, I remember we sat and watched wrestling with shadows and she was in, and she was asking a million questions. And at the time, Bruce Pritchard, who's an executive in WWE right now, ahead of uh, he's in charge of running SmackDown. He was a producer for reality of wrestling at the time. And I remember he's in the wrestling with shadows documentary. I was like, Oh, next time I see Bruce, I got to ask him a million questions about this, you know? So that's, it's still a very compelling tale. I haven't seen the dark side of the ring one, but, if uh, anyone out there hasn't ever watched anything about the Montreal screw job, I can understand why Christian wanted Brett to see it. Yeah, no, for sure. If, if, if you're like not a, a wrestling fan or you're not in the business, like, yeah, for sure. It's super captivating. I'm just saying like, yeah, like for me personally, like I've, I've seen all of it. I've read all of it. I'm like, I get it. I don't need like another someone else's opinion on it. Like I already got the actual people involved's opinion. So yeah, that, that sit down was fascinating too. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I echo I echo Brad's uh, sentiments for sure. Definitely go do that. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do that. And uh, and yeah, it's been great having your insight on uh, on the you know the wrestling talk. And uh, 
and not only wrestling, but also which we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. Schmodown, you uh, you do work for Schmodown too. Great work, by the way. Um, but you are also now a published author, man. Congratulations, dude, on that. Um, your book, Back from the Future, a celebration of the greatest time travel story ever told. Um, and be- before we get you uh, get you to uh, talk about that and give us uh, give us some details on your book. Uh, it did come up this week that apparently uh, Marty's parents not recognizing him once he had gone back to the future um, was finally solved. And Christian had said, kind of gave your opinion, uh, Brad, that you you didn't you didn't seem to think that it was really all that big of a loophole. Um, but if the, you can expand on that if you want to or not, but I did want to ask you. Uh, what is a loophole, a big loophole that just that, that maybe bothers you or one that one that you just you can't stop thinking about? And then if you could kind of segue into just telling us about your book and everything and your your love for the uh, for the uh, uh, the trilogy. Yeah, no, um, it was interesting. So I, I uh, was on Roxy Stryer, you know, the Schmodown, you know, Roxy. Um, I was on her live stream and we had a question asked about before all this news happened they said you know why doesn't marty's parents recognize him as calvin klein when he goes back to the future and it's something that i've been asked a bunch you know in in conversations about back to the future and i've always said the same thing i'm like how many people do you remember in high school like i don't remember anybody i went to high school with except for my group of friends and if you were to say hey do you remember such and such and such and such i'd be like oh yeah a name sounds familiar and i might have a vague recollection of what they might look like but for the most part, I've forgotten most of my graduating class. Now, granted, it was like 950 people, but nevertheless, I forgot most of it. So when this news broke that Bob Gale, co-creator and co-writer of Back to the Future, kind of solved it, he said essentially the same thing that I did. I said the same thing you know, just a week prior on Roxy's show um, about this. And so I thought it was really cool that he finally kind of came out and, and put the stamp on it. And the guy who broke the story from The Hollywood Reporter, his name's Ryan Parker, Today, I actually had Ryan on my Back to the Future podcast, and we talked about it a little bit more, and he talked about talking to Bob Gale and what Bob told him and the whole story. So if you want to go check that out on my Back to the Future show, you can definitely go do that. But um, I, you know, as far as that, I heard Christian also talking about this. And I guess as far as loopholes or plot holes or however you want to say it, this is one that he brought up of on SEN of why um, when Marty comes back to the future initially – and it's Lone Pine Mall instead of Twin Pine Mall, and he sees Doc get shot again, and he sees himself get into a DeLorean and take off back in 1955, you know, he was like, none of that would have happened. Since you've already changed the past, it would have changed what happens in the future, and you wouldn't have been in the same position that you were prior. I don't know where he gets that from, to be honest with you. I don't agree with that in the slightest. I think that you can make the argument, this was destiny. Marty was all, I mean, the, the movie's about destiny, right? George McFly says, hey, I'm your density, you know, to, to Lorraine in Lou's Cafe. Mm-hmm. And I think that the movie's about destiny. I think Marty was always destined to take this trip no matter what. So even when he returns back to the future uh, and things around him have changed, it's still his destiny to go back to 1955 and all of this happens again. Now, of course, it's a paradox. When you talk about time travel, you you know you jump and you could say this, this, and that. And then when you talk about Back to the Future 2, 
where, well, okay, well, how come the alternate 1985 happened? That's because Marty was destined to get that sports almanac, but Biff took it from him. I mean, I mean, Doc stopped Marty from taking it, and then Biff took it, and that's what screwed up the timeline. That's why it changed. Now, that might be uh, a really odd way of explaining it, but when you talk about this time travel stuff, it gets real weird. But I've always loved these movies. I think Back to the Future 1 is a perfect movie. I think they're all perfect, to be honest with you. I think that Back to the Future is the greatest pure trilogy of all time. Now, when I say that, I mean it has no other entries in the franchise except for three movies. There's no spinoffs of the films. There's no other cinematic experience except for those three movies. So when you talk about trilogies of all time, great ones, you can only really come down to Back to the Future or The Godfather. And let's be honest, the third Godfather, eh, it's not cutting it for me. So I think Back to the Future is the greatest pure trilogy of all time. And when I first saw these, I was seven years old. I was uh, I was watching the Disney Channel, of all things. And they said, hey, Disney Channel original movie tonight, Back to the Future marathon. I'm like, what's Back to the Future? And as soon as I saw the DeLorean, I was sold. And that was um, that was when I fell in love with the movies. And my um, siblings are all older than me, like by a lot. My closest sibling in age is seven years older than me, but my oldest sibling and I are 23 years apart in age, which is a, a quite a big age gap. And the one thing that we still can relate to today is Back to the Future. And this movie was a way of, of for me, bonding with my older siblings because my oldest brother was born in 69, my other brother in 76, my sister in 86, and I'm in 92. But this movie, for some reason, was generational and we all could relate to it. So when, um, I fell in love with it. I watched it, watched it, watched it. And then, you know, uh, Marty McFly was my hero. I think it's everyone's hero. When you see Marty McFly, you're like, I want to be that guy. And then in the um, you know, mid-2000s, my grandmother was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, which is the same illness that Michael J. Fox still suffers from today. And that's when my hero went from being Marty McFly to Michael J. Fox. And those movies meant all the more to me because no longer was I looking up to Marty McFly, I was looking up to Michael J. Fox. And um, so I've always had these movies in my head. And when the opportunity came to do a book based off my podcast, I, I had to jump all in and, and celebrate these films that have defined large parts of my life. And uh, how, how long did it take you to write the uh, to write? Like, I mean, completely. Did it done? I'm sure. Uh, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure. I'm not sure how it works, but I would assume you would uh, you would send it in. They would want you to edit it. But I mean, the first time you sat down and wrote it before sending it off to anyone, how long was that process? Well, you know, David, you'll relate to this because before I was in you know radio or hosting television or writing books, I was in the music, man. I was in the hip hop scene in Houston. And I've seen the videos, it. dude. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the so videos. Said, I did some research. We uh we were going to have you on a couple months ago. It didn't work out. We're glad to have you back, but uh I did a little bit of research then and I saw the videos, man. Sorry, I yeah. didn't mean to interrupt you. It just no, 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 when you good, said that good. I got excited. I was like, "Dude, I know what you mean. I know what you mean." <laughs> well, so but but yeah, so I was in I was in the hip hop scene for a while and uh, you know, still super passionate about music and you know, dabbling. It's not my main focus anymore, but I wish that it was. But David will know this. If there's a saying when you're in a band or you're or you're making an album is you have your entire life to write your first album. Mm -hmm. And for me, this book, I felt like I had my entire life to write my first book because these movies have been around my entire life. Goldie Wilson 
has been as relevant to me as my father has. I've known them for the same amount of time in my mind, right? I mean, 20 plus years. I've known them, you know, the same amount of time. George McFly, uh, uh, Lorraine, Marty, Doc. So I knew these characters so much and I knew the history of the films and I've celebrated on my podcast, Back to the Future, which we're in our sixth season, about to go into our seventh season of the podcast. So I knew a lot of it already. So I will say this, the writing process, I sat down in probably June of last year uh, after formulating these ideas for a while. I think I signed the publishing deal in late April or May. And then uh, I sat down at the beginning of June, June 9th, I believe, which is actually Michael J. Fox's birthday. It was the first day that I worked on the book. And it was it was about a good, solid six and a half months. I turned it in right before Christmas time. And um, it's it, it's to be honest with you, Jay, it sucks. <laughs> like writing a book <laughs> sucks. It's not a fun process because I am such a collaborative individual. I like talking to other people. I like working with people. Um, you know, music is a very collaborative for me. That's where it started. The radio show, I, you have a co-host, me and Booker T, we bounce off each other. In the Schmodown rundown, me and Frank, we bounce off. So I've always been real conversational, real collaborative. And then writing a book is not conversational. It's not collaborative. It's you sitting in your room with other books open. I had like six other books open. I had Back to the Future on loop playing on my television. And you're just sitting there and you're researching and writing and you're pecking away at a keyboard for hours on end. And, you know, writing thousands and thousands and thousands, literally tens of thousands of words about one subject is very um, challenging. And it's very rewarding when you're finished because now that I'm done, oh, my God, I love talking about it. But I felt like um, you remember when Daniel Craig was doing the rounds for the last Bond movie after it mm -hmm. came out and they, he said, I'd rather slit my wrist than do another James Bond movie. Right. That I understood what he was thinking now. Like I get where it was coming from at the time. I'm like, what do you mean? You're James Bond. That's the coolest job ever. And then when you realize, oh, well, he did just shoot for 11 months straight or whatever it was and have a movie come out in the same year that he started principal photography, you know, in January and it's out in November. It's been a rush for him. And, and I and I understood what he meant by that now, because it was such a um, it, it was such a hard process. But at the end of it, um, I said I'd never want to do it again writing a book. And I mean, even on Roxy's show and other shows that I've done the day the book came out, I was like, yeah, I don't think I ever want to do this again. And then, I don't know, last week I had an idea for another book and I've, I've already pitched it to the <laughs> publisher. So we'll see if it happens. I don't know. I might, I might not ever write a book again, but I, I do have the itch again already because um, it is a fun process. And, and, and the coolest part about it is people tweeting me pictures of a book that they got that, you know, that I wrote, that they purchased with their own yeah. money. Um, and David, I'm sure, you know, too, like, I remember hearing myself on the radio for the first time, someone playing mm. my song and playing a show and someone bought the record, they bought the CD and you're like, man, that's my CD. Right. And the book is the same thing. It's like, wow, someone in Germany, like I had somebody from Germany, send me, send me a screenshot. That they bought mm -hmm. the book, uh, Canada, England, Sweden, uh, they bought the book and it's like, wow, like that's kind of crazy. <laughs> You know, because yeah, I'm sure y'all look at it like when you see stats or something, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, wow, I had like three listens in, in Uzbekistan. That's awesome. But you're like, <laughs> who's really listening in Uzbekistan? And then when somebody tweets you a picture that they, they bought your book and they're in Uzbekistan, you're like, <laughs> oh, man, that's you. That's awesome. Yeah. That is great. I could totally relate with like the Schmodown stuff and like because I put my stuff on Spotify and just like looking at the listens and be like, there's someone listening to me in the Le Netherlands. That's fucking bonkers, dude. Yeah. yeah, and you're I always want... thinking it's probably a bot or something. 
And yeah. Actually, no, it's not. <laughs> There's actually people a... outside the United States, believe it or not. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, because I know you went to college and stuff. Is the process of writing a book relatable to like doing like a like a like a like a huge thesis like a research paper like a dissertation like how much thousand percent how much thousand percent how much prep do you do before you write the process like because i'm sure and i'm excited to read the book i haven't i haven't read it yet but i'm sure like you you have your topic you have your thesis you have what you want to talk about but you have to do that i would imagine like tens if not hundreds of times over to fill up a whole book like how much prep went into all that your research and stuff so so when someone says you have to write a book and it needs to be X and X amount of words, and that's what your publisher tells you, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, wow, that's a lot of words. I've never written anything that long in my life. And then when you outline the, the table of contents, so first I had to say, okay, what am I going to say in this book? What do I want to talk about? What do I want to write about? Sure, I want to write about Back to the Future, but what about Back to the Future? And then so you kind of lay that out. All right, here's my working table of contents. And to be honest with you, I started with eight chapters. Then eight turned to 16 and then 16 turned to 10 and then 10 turned to 12. You know, you're always kind of formulating it and trying to get it right. But um, once you kind of settle on, okay, this is what I want to discuss. The way I looked at it was, okay, I'm not writing a book. I'm writing over a course of six months, 10 to 12 research papers Mm -hmm. or essays. And I need to make sure I do my due diligence on each of them before I start. So um, it's very similar to, to, writing a paper in college or university or even high school is like, you got to know the topic. You're like, okay, where do I want to start with this? How do I want to introduce the information? And then when do I want to interject the point of this essay, the point of this chapter, and how do I wrap it up? The only difference in that and, and the book is, okay, and then how do I make it flow into the next chapter? Mm-hmm. How do I make it all connect? It's like, uh, I'm Kevin Feige. And I'm like, I have these 23 movies. How do they all connect to one another? And that's what you have to figure out when you're when you're compiling it to make it feel like a complete story and not just a series of essays. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I would, and yeah, I, would, and I, I, I like the yeah. insight on that too because I've, I mean, I like to write, but I just have an issue with uh, patience or not patience, but attention. Uh, I, yeah. I don't have the attention span to write very much, so I the the most I can ever crank out is a a lengthy poem or a short story. Well, you know, and, and I think that it, it, it just depends on, on, on the view of it. Like I said, I signed that deal in, in what did I say, April or May. I started in June, but I took, you know, big gaps off, right? It wasn't all 100% working on it all the time because my brain would fry. There's just no way I could do that, you know? There's no way I could sit there for, you know, days and weeks and months just every day working on it because as a creative you have to feel creatively inspired and you have to feel like something there's something mm-hmm. that you want to say at that time. And I think that that comes from my songwriting days of, and, and, and David, just because I know that you and I are, we're both the music guys. You can relate mm-hmm. to me on this because so oh, many definitely. of my, so many of my um, creative processes are, are birthed and they, they originate from my days in music. And you have this great riff, you put a great beat to it and you have a, you have an idea for a concept for the song and you're like, okay, I want to do, I want to say this. And you might work on it for three, four, five, six hours that day, laying it down, getting it right, writing little lyrics. And then you'll leave it alone for like three months and come back to it and be like, <laughs> oh my God, I got it. I got mm-hmm. it. This is what I need to say. And mm-hmm. that lyric just hits you or that riff just hits you, that melody, you wake up and you're singing in your head 
And that's what it was like for me. There were times where I'd wake up at four o'clock in the morning, dead asleep. And I wake up to go use the restroom. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's a great idea. Let me go write that down, you know? And I get the laptop out and I start writing out of, at, immediately out of my slumber. And um, so it's a, it's a real challenging creative process. And if you say, because um, I had a deadline. I mean, I had a, a deadline, that I, a self-imposed deadline that I was like, okay, I'm going to finish it by this time. And anybody who's ever done any creative work knows that's impossible. You cannot give yourself a day and say, I have to be done by this. If you work in a, in an environment where you have to be creatively inspired. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is true. To echo that sentiment. Yeah. That that's happened to me a lot with like the Shmodan themes and stuff. Like there'll be moments where Christian will come to me and be like, we need, we need this theme for this competitor by this day. And, uh, I don't know if you relate to this. I, I, I'm i sure you do because there's moments where you're just creatively dry, like just nothing comes out of you. And if something does come out of you, you immediately hate it because you're just not in the mood. So what I tend to do is I'll either I'll do I'll do something else that has to do with some kind of art. So either I'll go watch a movie or I'll go listen to other music. Probably I'll even listen to music that has nothing to do with what I have to write. Like a lot of stuff for Schmodown is like it's guitar driven, like heavy because Christian wants kind of like that, those wrestling themes type of stuff. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'll go listen to like, I'll listen to Marshmallow. I'll listen to, uh, I'll listen to um, Chris Stapleton just to like feel creative. And then before you know it, all of a sudden you're just hearing something and just three notes in a melody or whatever can just click and go, oh, I have an idea. And a whole riff and eventually a whole song and A and B section comes out, which, which leads me to wanting to ask you, because I knew you, I know you said you were like you did your research, you would have Back to the Future like on loop in the background. But is there anything else you use during that creative process to get you uh, inspired, maybe, or something that that you watched on something else, or you heard something else, or even something from like your your wrestling gig, to where you were like, oh, and it just connects, and you go, I could use that for the book. Um, consciously, no. Like I, I don't uh -huh. think there's anything consciously that I was using as a creative muse or spark. But I'm sure subconsciously everything was mm -hmm. inspiring me or motivating me or giving me ideas. I think that um, I remember one time writing, a, uh, writing this verse for a song and I had these great – I had this like great opening line. I'm like, oh, this is going to kill him. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember laying it down and our producer looked at me. He goes, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, that's a Jay-Z line. And I'm like, is it? You know, and I didn't even realize it because it just subconsciously had slipped into my head. And, and I, you know, I was inspired by it, I guess, without knowing it. And it kind of gave me so um, I guess I say that to say everything probably inspired me, but nothing, nothing uh, that was like, OK, I got to because, you know, there, there are certain things that I'm sure people do. Like I need to go on a, you know, on a jog up the mountains and that will zen me out and I'll get, you know, or I need to put the incense on or I need to go listen to dark side of the moon while I'm playing the, you know, the wizard of Oz and see if they really link up. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's things like that that people do, but I didn't have a conscious one for this particular project that, that I went to. I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to get inspired. Mm -hmm. It just had to come to me. You know, it just had to come to me like lightning striking a clock tower. Yeah. And sometimes that happens during the creative process where you're just like, I have nothing. And then all of a sudden you're doing something mundane, like washing dishes and an, an idea comes in your head. You're like, I gotta, I gotta write this down somewhere. Which I know. Happened, and then don't you wish you could just bottle it and sell it? Yes. Figure out how to always access it. Which leads me to another question. Uh, and you probably can't recall exactly what, but were there moments where you're like an idea came to your head and you're like, I need to go write it down. And then just something distracts you. 
and all of a sudden the idea is gone and you're, you're trying to find it, but you can't find it. It's, it was there and it's not there anymore. Did that happen to you during this process? It did. That That's a great question. It did. And it was on the way to, I was traveling either to Vegas or Los Angeles for one of the boxing matches that Booker and I were covering for our show. And I was sleeping on the plane because it was, it was on the way back actually, because I was sleeping on the plane and we always take the red eye and I was like half asleep and then I woke up and I had this vision of this chapter that I could do about Doc Brown mm-hmm. and about this entire history. And I was like, oh man, I could do this and talk about it and go into it. And I had it all perfectly laid out in my head. And then I went back to sleep on the plane and then I woke up and it was all gone. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that I had was, it was so perfect. It was all gone. And I remembered it had something to do with Doc. And then I just, I couldn't put it together again. So I gave up on it. Yeah, that happens. It's it's annoying how often that happens. At least to me personally, it's like, oh, I have a great idea for this lick. Oh, I have a great idea for this for this riff or whatever. And all of a sudden, it's just if you don't capture it in that moment, it's it's just gone. Like that's it. You just gotta let it go. Yeah, man. It, it, like I said, I wish I could bottle it when it happens. But yeah, I mean, I mean, the, and you know this. There are times, and it was the same with the book. There are times when you're writing a song it's taking you forever to write this verse and then there are times where you write it within three minutes and it's the best thing that you've ever written and it happened that's what happened with me for this book there'd be certain chapters that i would say okay i i'm stuck here i'm going to give up on this one i'll come back to it and i'm working on it for a week or two weeks trying to get mm-hmm. it together and then there'd be another chapter that that i would just literally write within two hours and it was done and it was perfect it's exactly what i wanted to say four thousand five thousand words i'm done boom and I just wish I knew the difference between the two and, and why one is, is, is the other. And, you know, sometimes you think, David, and, and, and Jay, I'm sure that it's happened to you when you're writing a poem or a short story or something where it, it comes together so great. And then you start backtracking. Okay, what did I do today? Okay, I had eight and a half hours of sleep. I drank <laughs> a Red Bull that was sugar-free <laughs> from the corner store. And I had, you know, uh, you know, torchy tacos. Okay, let me do that tomorrow and see if it happens. And, you know, obviously it never works. But you just try to figure it out sometimes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think for me, speaking just like just speaking on the creative process, I've kind of learned there's no one way to be creative. Like sometimes an idea will come to you and you can just lay it out perfectly in one sitting. And sometimes the idea just kind of slowly reveals itself to you. Sometimes it's days, sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it could be months. In some occasions, it could be years. But as long as you have something already kind of to begin with, eventually the idea just flows out. Some ideas just come out quicker than others. Yep. That's the truth. I, uh, I've been writing a song for over 10 years now and I am still not fucking done with it yet. Um, <laughs> but, but I'll get it one of these days and, uh, congratulations again on, on the, yeah, on man. the publication of the book there. And, uh, uh, hopefully you can uh, get the, get your other idea out there and uh, get that published as well. But, uh, yeah, we, yeah, uh, no, it, it'd be great, man. Like, like I said, I never thought, and it, it's crazy. I never thought that anything that I'm doing right now, I'd be doing, you know. And I think I, I guess I'm just blessed in that way. I never thought that I'd, you know, have an album out. I never thought that I'd sign a record deal and tour, you know, the United States. I never thought I'd, you know, act. I never thought I'd be in the schmodown. I never thought I'd write a book. I never, th- you know, what I mean, you don't think that you're going to do any of these things, and then they happen, and you're like, it's almost like an out of body experience at times. Mm-hmm. For sure. Oh, yeah. Can you get uh, so? Can you tell us where people can find your book? Uh, like, is there an audio book that you're planning? Uh, where can they find a physical copy? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so the physical copies are available right now on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, IndieBound, Apple Books. You can get the ebook there. Um, you can actually get them from me as well at BackFromTheFutureBook.com. And the audiobook is already out. Um, people can get that on Audible or wherever you get your audiobooks. Excellent. Awesome, man. Excellent. Um, be sure and check that book out, everybody. Um, uh, and Brad Gilmore, like I said, you know, it's, it's not just the, it's not just the book. It's not just, uh, wrestling. Um, he, he's also involved with Schmodown and we're going to take ourselves a quick promo break for some uh, other shows from Merc with the movie blog. And on the flip side of that, we're going to get into some Schmodown talk. So we'll be right back, everybody. Hey guys, Sean here. Be sure to check out the new podcast over here at Merc with the Movie Blog, Beyond the Screen. Mike, Sarah, and I every week coming together, doing our own little our own little radio show, whatever you want to call it, talking movie news, life, TV news, anything. Whatever comes up, that's what we're going to talk about. Every week, just come check it out. Where? Where? On the Merc with the Movie Blog feed! Perfect! <laughs> Yay, okay, don't listen. Ready? Hi everyone, this is Sarah, host of Go Get That Rose podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to talking about all things Bachelor Nation. Join Jay Wade, a man in his 40s who is recently new to all things Bachelor Nation, and myself, someone who has been watching passionately for the past three years, as we review, share our thoughts on each episode of whatever show is currently on TV, whether that is Bachelor, Bachelorette, or Bachelor in Paradise. We might not even know everyone's name, but we have fun nonetheless. You can find us on Merkwood and Movie Blog Feed wherever you listen to podcasts. I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Hey guys, it's Sean. I wanted to tell you guys about the new show I'm hosting, The Harry Potter Review Show. Every other week, I'm joined by some combination of Kaylin, Sarah, and one guest that has never read the books. We discuss one movie per episode and break down what we love about them, what we don't love about them, and the differences from the books to the movies. It's a ton of fun, and I hope you guys will tune in to check it out. Until then, mischief managed. And we're back, guys. Be sure and check out those shows. Good shit going on over here at Merc with a Movie Blog. And uh, I just want to also throw in, I did last week as well, that uh, that, that Kalen, or not Kalen, I'm missing Kalen already uh, here, but um, Sarah, who hosts uh, Go Get That Rose, our Bachelor uh, podcast that I co-host, um, she has a special guest co-host in Kristen, uh, for the new Bachelor show, uh, listen to your heart, some shit. I can't do it. Uh, I, I opted out of it. I mean, if I had to do it, I would do it. But uh, like I said last week, I love music far too much to subject myself to that bullshit. So, uh, so Kristen is, uh, she's, she's a good girl. She, she has a lot of fun on there, and it's good time. So check that out, and then, uh, and then yeah, that's that. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love doing that show. It sounds cheesy as fuck, but that show actually came from Christian talking about Bachelor on Collider Live, and we started talking about it on our after show. And then I was like, "Hey, man, let's just do a full-on review show of this shit." Little did I know, yeah, I got not? myself into a, a life of hell, dude. It's terrible. <laughs> but um, but uh, getting into some schmodown shit here. Um, I, I, Every t- anytime we have someone on, a guest from the Schmodown world, uh, always like to ask them, um, how did you meet Christian, and how did you get involved in the Schmodown, Brad? Um, 
Yeah, man. Great question. So I, and you know, I, I don't remember the exact moment and, and I wish that I did, but at some point I had stumbled across a movie talk on YouTube and um, I, I, I don't know if I was looking for something particular, but I just found it and I heard them talking about Dan Merle and John Campia are going to wrestle in the movie trivia showdown and see who the you know best knowledge in, in movie trivia is. I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? That sounds nuts. And then I actually saw like one of them had a picture of the big gold belt, like the, the World Heavyweight Championship from WCW. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, so there's like some wrestling thing involved. So I watched it. I was just curious. So I watched. And I was like, oh, man. And I got it instantly. I was like, oh, this is like a wrestling character driven show. It's got movie trivia. And then you see John Roca and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I recognize this immediately. Mm-hmm. So I started watching like a little bit casually, not hardcore or anything like that. And then um, Roca won the title and Booker and I were doing our old show, Heated Conversations at the time. And we did this little video saying, hey, it's one thing to win the championship, it's another to defend it. And um, and so we did that. But before we did that, I actually reached out to Christian. Sorry to jump back for a second. I reached out to Christian on their website, like schmoesno.com or something. And I found a contact email and I sent him an email and was like, hey, uh, my name's Brad Gilmore. I work with Booker T. Maybe we could do something together for the Schmodown. And then Christian replied back to me like an hour or two later. was like, yeah, yeah, Booker wants to do something. Yeah, he's in. And, you know, he didn't know me from Adam. He didn't know who the hell I was. He was like, yeah, I'm sure this guy really knows Booker T, whatever. But, you know, he responded. And then we sent him that video. And then he emailed me back. He's like, oh, my God, this is awesome. And I remember we got we got on the phone that day and talked about like this vision that he had for Booker. And that was so that was the first time that. I'd never met him or talked to him um, or it was the first time I talked to him. I didn't meet the man in person until um, I actually went to a taping and did some uh, post-match interviews for top 10 and top that, that match. But before that, I had never uh, met him. I just talked to him online. So anyway, that, that was my introduction. And, and I was just doing stuff to have Booker involved. And then um, the Schmodown Rundown was a podcast with Aaron Turner and Brian Davids and Frank Janish. And uh, I think that the, the account on Twitter had followed me. So I just sent him a DM and I was like, hey, man, if you ever want me on to talk about Schmodown or wrestling, like I'm, I'm game. And uh, I think Aaron was out that week or something or Frank. One of them was out. So they called me and they said, hey, you want to be a guest? You know, Frank's out this week. Or maybe you can fill in as the guest host. So I did. And then I remember, I don't know, it wasn't too long after that, that Aaron Turner left the show. And I got a call from Christian saying, hey, do you want to be the new host of the Schmodown Rundown? And I said, uh, yeah, let's do it. And that was kind of where it started for me. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what Do you remember the first match that you called? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, the first match that I, I did commentary for, I believe, was the manager bowl from the Spectacular. The Spectacular 3, um, where it was Christian, Emma, Tom Dagnino, and uh, there was one other one. I can't remember who the fourth one was. But that that and that was a really fun match because there was challenges, there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on in that match, and so that that was the first time I I done the 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 you know commentary. I had done the post match interviews before, and that spectacular in particular, I actually hosted the entire pre show, which was which was pretty cool. Um, and and you know Christian man, he just I don't know, he saw something, he thought that maybe I could pull it off, and he gave me an opportunity. And and I'm really big on if I'm given an opportunity, I'm going to make sure that. 
you know, I treat it like it's the biggest thing in the world. And I go out there and I do the best job that I can. And, and uh, I did that with Booker and, and Booker's always told us that, you know, any, any time you're on camera, it's worth its weight in gold. You can't buy that kind of exposure. You can't afford it. So I just remember just taking all those opportunities, man. And whether it be the rundown and then when we moved to video, Christian moving us to the collider channel and then uh, back to the Schmoes no channel. Now that we're the, the SEN network and, it's been great, man. And Christian's really trusted me and Frank, but you know, he trusted me as a host who had never hosted anything for him. He trusted me to steer that ship and make sure that the show is not only informative, but entertaining. And um, I think that Frank definitely brings the information and he brings the stats and he brings the background, the knowledge. And, I, and I'm there, I'm there to, you know, stir the conversation, make it keep going and, and be able and sprinkle a little entertainment on top of it. Yeah, it's great too. I, I, uh... Uh, I, I unfortunately I don't get a chance to listen every week, but I have I have watched it quite a few times. It's very entertaining and informative. Uh, good knowledge and insight there. Um, and and I got a question for you. I asked Roca this last uh, last week. Um, this the new era. This uh, season seven here with the with the um, going to making it even more of a sport. Um, and I'm not, maybe it is a sport. I don't know. I don't want to get into classifications, but it is definitely more of a sport at the least, uh, with the factions and the draft and everything, the point system. Um, and this is a big season and this COVID it, you know, it, it, it derailed it a little bit. Um, and my question here is I've been thinking about, uh, the rest of this season and how, uh, it's 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 been postponed and it's not gone the way it should and and the the factions aren't evened out completely as far as uh, some factions haven't had as many matches as others and stuff like that. But my thought was perhaps using the rest of this season and just using it to even out all the factions with matches just just to get everyone on an even playing field and then when season and. And don't do a tournament. And season eight would normally start. Just continue it as season seven, and just have a longer extended season. Um, because it, it really is a shame that the COVID kind of uh, kind of put a hamper uh, on this on this unrolling of this new style here. And and I don't know. I just I would hate. I would hate for it to not be the best it could be, and I don't know. I don't personally see anything wrong with an extended season and just combined seven and eight into one season and just call it all season seven, the new era. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Brad? Um, I mean, it's definitely an option, right? I think that right now all options are on the table. Um, all ideas should be heard, and, and whenever we can move forward with, with this season, I think that they're going to figure that out. I think that we still fortunately – you have enough matches in the can, plus you have the benefit of time. And I'm, I'm thinking by the end of May, we can at least figure out how we can shoot studio matches. Maybe there's not going to be an audience. Maybe there's only going to be four people in there at a time, maybe no managers. But they're going to be able to figure out a way to um, continue the season. So um, I think all options are on the table. I think that there's still enough time to balance out the, the number of matches that each faction's getting and finish this season seven. Uh, in a strong way, and um, and I'm, I'm hoping we can still figure out to do the free for all because I, I was excited. I was going to be traveling to the free for all mm-hmm. um, for the first time and seeing it live in person. So I'm a little bit bummed about that, but at least United came through with those airline credits, so I can't be too upset. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that, like I said, all options are on the table. Uh, I, I kind of think of it similar to 
the year after, right now that everyone's watching the last dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, the year after the Bulls won, there was that NBA lockout season where they only played like 50 games or something like that. Um, it, it, we, we could see season seven turn into one of those just abridged seasons where you just got to run with it. And it might not be how we originally planned, but, you know, nothing is, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. we'll just go forward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, uh, it was going to be my first free for all, too. So I'm super bummed about that as well. And then also to Houston, I was looking forward to that because a lot of uh, things. Kind of started. I think that was going to be this weekend, right? It was supposed to be literally tomorrow. Yeah, when we're when we're recording this, it's supposed to be tomorrow. Yeah. So, um, I had I had a question. So you on on rundown? I forget which week because all all the days blend together. But it was during the week where the whole we're heels thing kind of came up, <laughs> and you you kind of gave us like a great great uh, little history lesson on wrestling and what the terms mean, and obviously when you turned into the Schmodown for the first time, it's kind of what made me go, I want to be a part of this. Cause I did relate, find that aspect of like the wrestling thing with the actual trivia. And that's when I personally wanted to be like, I want to write music for these guys. Cause I kind of get the vision. So I wanted to ask you, cause we have this big problem right now where it's like, they're supposed to be definitive heels and definitive faces. But in my opinion, and you can correct me if you don't see it this way, Brad, we don't have that. We have everyone kind of being tweeners. There's not really like a personality that you can really latch on to sometimes. Like we, we have some clear heels. Like I, I, I always argue Shannon right now to me, Shannon Barney is the biggest heel right. in the, in the, uh, in the league. Currently we have some clear baby faces, but like, there's not really like a lot of rookies are coming in. And then what happened with like, you know, the pride and stuff about we're heels. But so my question for you would be, what would be your suggestion to kind of fix that? There's been like a discussion about like having like a rookie class and defining that, how would you suggest also uh, rookies and other personalities who are like booked as the heel, right? That's their personality. How to deal with that kind of heat? Yeah, it is interesting, man. Um, the first thing is, I think that at, like because there's so many, there's so much, so many new aspects to the Schmodown this season, and we are just finally starting to kind of get into the thick of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, all this stuff happened where we had to stop, and the momentum kind of slowed. I think that a lot of these first timers who you might have say, oh, they're kind of tweeners or, you know, they're not definitive one way or another. I think those personalities would have come out. Um, the longer you're on camera, the, the easier it is to tell which is which. Um, and, and then as, and, and, and I also think that some of the heel face stuff is going to, I don't know, change a little bit just because the, the modifications of the game, the way that it is that now it's, it's kind of team oriented as, as opposed to individualism. Before mm-hmm. it was about the individual, now it's about the faction. It's about the team, and there's something inherently unhealish to be rooting for one another. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, like to be rooting for a team as as opposed to yourself. I think it's. I think the heels and the faces are going to turn more into like heels and faces in actual sports, like how we. I, I say we. I love. I love the man, but how a lot of people hate Tom Brady and the Patriots or. The Golden State right. Warriors, you're going to have the, or the New York Yankees or the Houston Astros, unfortunately for us right now, David. Like yeah. those, those teams <laughs> that people, the teams that people just don't like um, legitimately. And I think that maybe some of the heels will be branded in more of a team format than it would be as an individual. But the other thing is this I've heard about this rookie symposium stuff, and mm-hmm. I know that everybody seems to be on board with it. I, I could give a crap less about that. I don't think that's even a good idea because here's the thing. There's a few things that you can't do, and I don't think you, you can teach someone how to be a heel or teach someone how to be liked. It's just like in life. 
You're either a likable person or you're a bit of an ass, you know, and in, in, in wrestling, it's the same way. Um, you can do certain things that are going to elicit certain responses, but unless you connect with that character or that character is a piece of you um, inherently, I don't think that anything you learn in a class can can do that, right? It's it's almost like um, learning re, uh, uh, multiplication and division in your third grade math class and then trying to do your taxes. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's both math, but they're completely different. One's in a classroom and one's in the real world. And I think that the thing with a heel, the reason why Andrew Guy is so great at it or the John Roku was so great at it or, or Dagnino when he was playing the heel role was so great at it was because that was a piece of them. That was who they actually were with the volume turned way up. I think that some people are naturally dislikable. And, and I think that it, and I think that's a good thing for them in the Schmodown. Like yeah. Chandru, God love him. I think that he comes off dislikable at mm-hmm. times, unlikable at times. And, and, and in person, he's not unlikable. But on camera, he comes off unlikable. So you got to lean into those things. So I don't know if a rookie symposium is going to teach you how to be a heel. Sure, you might get some bullet points and some tips. But you, you, it's got to be within you. It's got to be inherent. It's mm-hmm. just like a great singer. You can go to um, vocal classes and learn how to sing and learn how to be on pitch and learn how to you know, get your vibrato popping and how to do a run. But it doesn't mean you're going to be Beyonce. You know what I mean? Some people are just <laughs> born with that inherent skill and mm-hmm. ability. And so um, yeah, that's just kind of what I think about that. What do you th- what do you think about because obviously with the fan base right there's always like the fan base is like just make it about the trivia and then there's that other side of the fan base where they love the personalities and they they're into the storylines and stuff like that do you where do you well, okay I know you probably land on probably more of the personality side because that's kind of fun and you kind of come from that business of personalities right wrestling but where do you think the schmodown specifically speaking about like natural heels and faces do you think the schmodown eventually evolves into just people being who they are naturally do you think maybe eventually whether you agree with it or not there is symposiums and like the freshman 101 for the schmodown and we dive deeper into personalities where do you think the natural evolution of schmodown competitors Um, goes? well as far as like the, the 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 contingent who say oh i just want the trivia and i don't care about the personality stuff or the wrestling stuff they, uh, I think that they just don't realize how much they care about the wrestling aspect of it because but it's just like with anything, any any real game show, right? I don't, I don't remember the man's name, but I remember watching live the first time whoever it was won the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and he actually won for the first time. They they booked that guy in such a way that on the show, he, pre- he presented himself away and they helped present him in such a way that you either you found yourself cheering for him. You wanted him to win. And I think that the Schmodown, whether you're conscious about it or subconscious about it, um, the wrestling aspect of everything, uh, for those people who say they just want the trivia, it's playing a part in, in why they like the game, whether they like it or not. As far as the evolution of the game, I think that this season is the most important season in the history of the movie trivia Schmodown once it starts again, once we get up and running. Because I think that the outcome of season seven will determine where the game goes. Where do mm-hmm. I think it's going to go? I don't know because I didn't. I would have thought that we'd be in a faction type league with teams and and point systems a year ago. I would have never thought that. And when Christian told me the idea at first, I loved it, but I did not know how he was going to pull it off. So I still want to see this come to fruition this season, and then I can have a better idea of of when 
um, or where the Schmodown will go in the future. Mm, fair enough. I yeah, see makes that. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's something else that's been evolving in the Schmodown uh, is the music, which uh, a great deal of that is thanks to you, David. Um, and they talked about that this week. And uh, <laughs> Christian debuted a lot of theme songs. You guys go back and listen. What day was that? Do you remember, David? That, that was, was on, Wednesday? That was, that was Tuesday. Tuesday. So mm-hmm. if you guys if you guys missed it, go back to Tuesday. It's about 30 minutes in or so. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian uh, debuts a lot of the themes that you made for factions this season. And um, so I got a couple questions. Uh, one, one question specifically for you, David. The other one is for both of you, and then we'll get into this week's match uh, that, that dropped. Um, my question for you, David, I, this just popped in my head. I was thinking earlier um, – and it had come up on SEN Live about conflicts. Uh, for example, I know you know Nerd Chronic was supposed to play, but the conflict came up of of him being the editor, and he would have access to all of the to 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 all of video and, and an advantage that he would have there. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't able to do so. That being a conflict of interest there. So I was wondering, uh, one. Well, I, I don't know. I don't even care about whether or not you think it would be a conflict if you were to actually play and still do the music, the themes. I don't think it would be a conflict, but there is one thing I did think of where it could be, and this is the question I had for you that I thought of. If you were a competitor, David B., mm-hmm. and you were still writing the theme songs for people, mm-hmm. what are the chances that you would intentionally write a <laughs> shitty theme for one of your rivals? Dude, fucking zero, because <laughs> because <laughs> the minute the minute the minute Christian goes and composed by David B. and it's a terrible terrible song, that, re- that reflects poorly on me regardless. You know what I mean? So uh, it'd be it'd be zero, especially because you know I yeah the man the man pays for quality, so I got to make sure I give him quality. But uh, that's never gonna happen because I'll never compete. Uh, I just. I mean, you y'all heard earlier how I confused uh, Steven Spielberg directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, oh well, I'll, I think, I'll, I'll stick to fucking music, dude. I, I've competed with you as a team in the fan league, so yeah, and, and we, neither and one we, of us are ever going to be competing in the showdown, dude. No, we we got our asses handed to us. So, oh yes, I'll big time. To, so it, it, it's funny. So I um, you know, Frank and I. I mean, especially Frank, it'd probably be a, a conflict of interest to be a um. Uh, a competitor, an active competitor in the league. However, I have gotten to finally, you know, be a competitor in, in sorts in the movie trivia showdown with these mm-hmm. exhibition matches mm-hmm. that are oh, coming nice. up. I, I, I'm a part of two of the exhibitions. One is a Back to the Future exhibition where I'm going to be taking on uh, Frank Janish, Kevin Smets, and Jay Washington. And the other one is a James Bond match where I'll be taking on Mike Kalinowski, Tim Franco, and others. So um, I, I will say this. You, uh, because they, they've been filmed. Well, I, I can't give too much away, but I will say that it it is a really different experience to be on the other side of that desk, to be having those questions asked to you rather than asking them. It's 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 a very odd experience, and um, I I it was real fun to to participate in that. I actually got to call. This is the, the really adult, everything that I got to do for these exhibition matches. I got to be on the desk for one of them where Mark Riley and I called, or Mark Ellis and I, excuse me, called the Christian Harloff versus John Roca Rocky Championship match. Nice. And wow. Wow, 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 is all I got to say. That's one I'm definitely looking forward to there. 
Um, but, uh, but also with the theme songs, they brought something else up. The, the, this question came up, and I wanted to ask you guys what your thoughts on it um, are. Uh, what are the qualifications that one needs in order to get a theme song? I mean, obviously, you're not going to give a rookie their own theme song. But people who aren't rookies, like what what do you guys think the, the criteria is that needs to be met for a Schmodown competitor to receive their own custom theme? Uh, uh, David, I'll let, you, I'll let you take this one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, for me, speaking honestly and candidly, the qualification is Christian messaging me and goes, hey, write a song <laughs> for this person. Or in some occasions, some competitors have come to me directly like, hey, can you write me a theme song and we work something out? Like, uh, like I, I think it's safe to say like Janine reached out to me personally. Obviously, everyone knows Rachel Cushing uh, reached out to me personally and uh, Kevin Smets also reached out to me personally. So, um, in terms of of what do I think? I think I think it does take a little bit of recognition in some sense. Like a portion of the audience has to know who you are. You know what I mean? If it's a rookie coming in, like of course, like we're just checking you out. At that point, it's just purely about the trivia, right? There's no really a personality yeah. attached to you yet because we don't know you yet. So, and for me personally, because I'm not, I don't do deep dives into the fan leagues or whatever, so I wasn't super familiar with like who Robert Parker was. But for me personally, to kind of write something that is like geared towards who you are as the competitor in the Schmodown, like, yeah, I need some time to like to see who you are, see how you compete, get the idea behind who you are as a competitor. But if you're going for personality, who you are as a as a personality as well. So, yeah, I think I think for me, yeah, it's definitely a little bit of recognition, not so much like. If, if if like if you're if you're like a like a, just a just a beast at trivia and you're and you're winning all the time, it's really more of like recognition of like if the, and if the fans relate to you in some way, so then I can write some music that relates to you in some way and like helps boost that personality aspect of you. Now, a quick follow up to that. Um, mm-hmm. Saying you know if someone comes to you personally, how does that work? Like say. Say Janine comes to you personally and and says, you know, I'd like you to do a theme song for me. Um, How does that work as far as Christian? Because doesn't he really have the final say on who gets a theme song? Well, um, not to get too too (laughs) backstagey, but um, with with Janine, we worked worked an agreement out to where like her theme song is for the Schmodown, but it's also like she uses it for a podcast. And with a... and with a Smets, it was it was kind of like a like he came to me, but then Christian gave the go ahead also for for Smets. So it's it's focused on the Schmodown. I mean, for for some of the competitors, it's really like we can work something out. Uh, but it's really and I'm and if any competitors are listening, it's really you have to like bug Christian to bug me to write you something. Has anyone mean. ever come to you directly? Then you went to Christian, or or in any way has anyone ever come to you directly? And then Christian put the hammer down on it and said, "No, no. that has never happened. That hasn't happened yet." All right, no. I was just curious, just a little little insight there to mm-hmm. to maybe how some of that works. But um, uh, Brad, what do you what do you think as far as qualifications that one needs to to get a theme song? You know what I think, David B said the best. Once the boss says they need one. <laughs> I love it, guys. I love it. I got two <laughs> Schmodown employees here, and Christian, you'll be happy to know they are fucking PC as hell, buddy. <laughs> yep, yep. I ain't getting nothing out of you guys, am I? Nope. 
Brad, can I get anything juicy out of you? Tell me something. Hey, Brad, tell me a story, behind-the-scenes Schmodown story, that Christian definitely would not want you to tell us. (laughs) He won't mind at all. (laughs) Yeah, you know, (laughs) there are some that come to mind, but uh, but I don't know that I can share. But um, I I will tell you that uh, this is a funny story. from the New York event. I think it was the first first New York event in Brooklyn. And it was Dan Merle versus Ethan Irwin. And I remember getting getting there and, and uh, I was in New York and um, I was going to do the pre-show. And Christian said, hey, you know, 10-minute pre-show, like whatever. Go out there, just warm them up a little bit. And I was like, hey, yeah, I can do that. So I'm sitting there. I'm, you know, I'm like 10 minutes. I'll kill 10 minutes and no problem. And I'm sitting there talking to Frank and talking to Chris and I'm talking to some of the competitors and Christian comes up to me. He's like, Hey man, you think you could do like 15? I'm like, yeah, I could do 15. No problem. Cool. And this is over like a three hour period. And then we're about, I don't know, another hour after that, he comes up to me. He's like, Hey man, I think I need about 30 minutes. I think I need about 30 for the pre-show. I'm like, okay, yeah, I could do 30. No problem, brother. No problem. And then we're about 10 minutes before the doors open. The doors open at like six show starts at seven. He's like, Hey, can you just do this full hour from six to seven? And I was like, sure, sure, wow. I'll do it. You know, and I just remember that was just it, it made me laugh because I was like, okay, whatever. And then we went out there, and, and Frank and I and Josh McCuga, you know, we entertained the the millions and millions. But uh, yeah, I, I I just remember that was like a live event story. That was the first live event I was a part of, and thinking, oh man. And then the next one was the first Houston match where I met David. And um, at the Booker T World Gym Arena, and Booker had a role on the show. And, you know, Booker's a, a veteran. He's a legend. He's done this forever. And uh, Christian, like, was giving me the story points to the to the show and what he wanted uh, Booker to do. And he was like, you know, what time is Booker getting here? Do you think that uh, you think he's going to get it? I'm like, yeah, he'll be here probably like 30 minutes to an hour before the doors, you know, I mean, before the show starts. And we'll get it. We'll be fine. And Christian comes up and he runs it to me again. And he actually does like a full rehearsal with everybody. And I stand in Booker's place. <laughs> and so we, we run the rehearsal that way. And I could tell, like he didn't want to say it, but I could tell Christian was like a little bit worried. Like, hey, like what if Booker shows up 10 minutes before and he doesn't know what he's going to do and this is live. Right. And, and I get it. I would have been the same exact way, 100%. So, um, you know, it's about an hour before the show starts. Booker's doing a meet and greet. And then. He's in, he's in his office. I'm like, hey, let me go grab Christian and run this. You know, we'll go over the, what he needs to do on the show. Grab Christian. Christian comes in there. He, like, tells, he tells Booker, yeah, I want you to do this, this, and this. And Book goes, okay, give it to me one more time. And he's like, I want you to do this, this, and this. And Book's like, all right, man, I'll see you out there. And then Booker comes out. He nails every spot of it, you know, no problem. And wow. Christian, like, at the end of the day, was like, oh, my God, I'm glad that he hit every beat. I knew that he would. But, and I get it. So, it's fun to, to, to be a part of those live events and see those matches. I even remember the spectacular last December standing there with Corruption and, and David B's right there. And I think, mm-hmm. David, correct me if I'm wrong, like mm-hmm. you couldn't hear yourself at first, right? No. So that's that's yeah. the main, that's the story. And I, I shared this last night with Rachel. Yeah. So the thing was like, like we, we literally like the sound check took like, and it took forever. We all got there at 10. But like the way the theater was, and like how it was like it was our guys setting up, but then the theater had their own guys setting up too. So we were supposed to me and me and Janine were supposed to rehearse our musical segments around ten thirty. We didn't get to till like around eleven thirty, twelve o'clock, just because of everything being set up and stuff. 
So I do everything, right? And I try to make it as painless as possible for everybody. So I come in with my backing track. I send them an extra file. I have one too, just in case. And I do like a wireless setup on my guitar. And I'm just like, all I need is just one channel and we're good. You guys play the song and we're good. So I'm backstage. I'm there with Corruption. I'm there with BC right before the door opens. And I hear my cue, which is, a, if you remember, it's just like a couple of hi-hat hits. It's like one, mm-hmm. two, three, four. And I start chugging. And then I... I, all I hear is just the, the, the crash. Just ksh, ksh, and I know I'm supposed to be riffing now. So I just look at BC in a panic. I'm like, BC, my guitar's not on. And he's like, the guitar's not on? And he goes on his little microphone. He's yelling, guitar's not on. You gotta turn on the fucking guitar. And it's, yeah, I was insane. And they finally, finally, the guitar does start sounding. They open the door. And of course, like, I have no in ears. There's no monitors on stage for right. whatever reason. So the crowd, obviously, they're hyped up. The crowd erupts. And at that moment, I literally don't hear anything. I don't hear the backing track. I don't hear my <laughs> guitar. I hear absolutely nothing. And I, I just have to go with like muscle memory and be like, I hope I'm in time because I literally didn't hear shit, dude. It was insane. It was a cool, looking back, it's a cool moment. It's a good problem to have that people would be so psyched up to the point they're yelling and screaming so loud you can't hear anything. But in that moment, I was like, I hope this doesn't sound god awful because I can't hear anything. But yeah, that moment was um, yeah, that was a crazy day too. I got some stories from that day too. I don't think anyone would appreciate me saying anything though. So. Yeah. Oh man, um, <laughs> that's great. Uh, and I can't wait to get back to the live matches. All of us uh, fans are itching for that. Mm-hmm. But at least, at least we still got some uh, studio matches that are dropping here. Um, we're down to one a week now, which, hey, man, it, it's cool. I am not complaining at all. I'm enjoying this season uh, just fine, especially the uh, – uh, not the promos. Uh, what, what, what is the, sp- the technical term for, like, the, uh, the opening scenes for the storylines? What would one call those? I need to say cut scenes or a cold open or something like that. Cut scenes. Yeah, yeah those have been great, man. Those have just been spectacular. Um, but we had another debut match this week with uh, Claudia Dolph versus the Warfather, and uh, it it was it was debut for both of them, and Warfather came out the victor on that one. Um, Brad, what do you take away from from this match, and uh, what are you looking for out of each one of these coming coming up here in the future? Um, yeah, so Frank and I are going to actually go into a deep dive about it tomorrow uh, on the Schmodown Rundown on audio Sunday on video, but I think that. Um, you know, they both showed a lot of promise. I think Claudia Dolph, she killed it in that musicals category, obviously. Um, kind of lost her footing in the third round. Warfather somehow was able to find his way uh, back into a W. I think that he's really entertaining. But you can see that uh, much like the Jada Paramo and Brittany Young match, these two competitors, they've got some blind spots in that round one. I think they were going, you know, five and six on average between mm-hmm. all four of them. And so that there's some things that they need to work on and polish up. And I think that uh, Claudia and Warfather are, are going to be uh, good additions to the league. Who would have thought that the Burning Droogs would be working on three wins in a row when they <laughs> yeah. were the team that everybody completely laughed out of the draft? So, mm-hmm. so the, the, it, it was an interesting match, and uh, I was I was surprised by the outcome. But you know that's the thing with these rookie matches; you never know who's going to you know be the. And, and I say rookie. Warfather was a part of last season, but this is his first official you know singles division match. He was in the Inner Geekdom. Mm-hmm. But um, you never know what to expect out of them, so that's why I always like these rookie matches. As a as an analyst, do you think because it was their singles debut, do you think the lights got to them a little bit? 
Because you um, know how competitors always are saying, like, it's it's one thing to do, like, if you're coming from the fan leagues or to do it at home, but once you're in that studio and those lights are just glaring at you, do you think a little bit of that played into their into their uh, their knowledge a little bit that day? You know, that lights thing is that thing lights thing is interesting. You know, I never I never know the lights I think get talked about a little bit too much. I think that it's mm-hmm. ho- the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. I think that especially for some of these rookies who've done their studying and then you go and you sit in that desk or you sit at the table and you look out there's Christian Harloff and Mark Ellis. There's Emma Fythoff to the corner. There's probably Dan Merle, Mark Andreco, William Bibiani, you know, Brendan Meyer. Everybody's congregating. I think the whole experience can alter or augment a, a rookie competitor's first performance. But um, I also think that some of it is you don't know what to expect, right? Mm-hmm. Is you can study all you want to, but you still don't know what questions are going to be asked. You still don't know what movies are going to be covered. You never know, especially in the singles league. Oh, you never know exactly what you're going to get. So I think that um, a lot of these are just reps, right? I think that we've well, seen it with everybody. Uh, ben Bateman was not a great player when he came into the league, but with more reps, he's become one of the best players the league has ever had. And he's held the championship and he had the greatest match of all time with Dan Merle in Atlanta, Georgia. So um, I think that it's hard to judge somebody. Here's the thing. If you were to judge somebody off their very first match, like I said, you would have Ben Bateman would have been an afterthought. And William the Beast Bibiani would be champion forever. Mm-hmm. But obviously we know neither one of those things happened. And uh, you, you can only tell so much from one match, right? Yeah. Um, you can tell someone's got potential. And I think that both these players do. I think Claudia Dolph having a category like musicals to be able to fire off like that in round two, that's a special talent. That's something we can build on. And uh, Warfather's got the entertainment down, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. How soon? Yep. How, how soon do you think Shannon trades Claudia? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, actually, I'm I'm not kidding. I want to know your thoughts on that, Brad. Um, that, that's actually kind of a legit question, David. Well, you, well, well, yeah. I mean, she's been known to trade, but I think there's a lot of upside in Claudia Dolph. Yeah, that so even with this L, um, you, you're going to want to hold on to her. You're mm-hmm. going to want to hold on to her. I mean, she's already been traded twice anyway. Yeah. Um, I think that you're going to want to hold on to her for a little bit and see. You know, in match two and three, what what you get as opposed to just uh, here's the thing. God love Bonnie Somerville, but you know when her and Brett, neither one knew who Odd Job was. Yeah. Um, it's like okay, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. maybe yeah. there's not a lot of promise. Um, so uh, Claudia Dolph, I think, is a different story, and I think she sticks around with corruption. Yeah, and, and and just for the record, I meant no disrespect for or anything negative toward Claudia in that it just, it was more going toward. Uh, the actions so far of Shannon Barney, uh, and uh, so yeah, so sure. that was not a shot at Claudia at all, um, and it wasn't a shot at at Shannon either. Uh, it was just, hey man, uh, it, it, in my mind, it was kind of a valid question, and I wanted to I wanted to hear what he thought. Um, David, do you have any thoughts on that match? I think I think for for both of them being being their debut for a singles competition, I think they both did a good job. I am very surprised how Warfather was able to nail his three and five. Um, mm-hmm. It was a bit of a struggle, especially in that third round for Claudia, uh, for Claudia. But yeah, I agree with Brad. I think they both have some seriously great potential. I think there's a lot that you can build on with Claudia for corruption, for sure. And Warfather, obviously, yeah, he's already got personality and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see where they go. It's 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 kind of it's kind of a bummer though, just kind of seeing like how. 
corruption, correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, I think you would know better than me, but corruption right now is has the least points out of all the factions, correct? Um, you know, Frank, Frank, Frank would be the guy, but I think it's either corruption or the rock stars, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah. I think to me, that's what's like the most kind of like surprising so far of the season yeah. is like everyone, everyone thought like corruption was going to come back after, after what happened with everything in spectacular and the factions being a thing and for them to be either last or second to last in terms of the rankings and for the droogs to actually like have, have had such a great season so far. It's just, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's been Talking. fun. To, it's been fun to watch. Like what everyone kind of suspected, some stuff has happened, right? Like everyone suspected Ofin oh, Stock Exchange because they they have all the belts in that faction pretty much, right? And they are kind of like leading in points because they've had the most matches. But like, yeah, Corruption not doing so well so far, and then Droogs actually having three belts in their faction is like it's fun. I'm 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 having a great time watching everything. It's very surprising. Uh, yeah, I hope we can pick up the season sooner rather than later, but just to see how much more we can go. But I think they both did a great job. Uh, yeah, I agree with Brad. They both have some serious, serious potential. Yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, and one match I'm looking forward to, it better fucking happen, is the Warfather versus uh, Barbarian. That would just be <laughs> fucking awesome. Um <laughs> But uh, we're going to wrap it up there for this week of SE and Afterlife, guys. Uh, it's been a fun time here. Thank you, Brad, for joining us. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you at. Plug anything that you would like to, sir. Uh, yeah, you can find me on all social media at Brad Gilmore. That's B-R-A-D-G-I-L-M-O-R-E. No double L. I'm not an M-O-U-R guy. That's for Pink Floyd. Uh, you can find me there, and then you can also find my book, Back from the Future, Celebration of the Greatest Time Travel Story Ever Told. That's available on all your online retailers. Amazon.com is probably the easiest. Check me out on the Schmodown Rundown with Frank Janish. Saturdays on audio on the uh, Schmodown feed on iTunes, or you can get us on the Schmodown Entertainment Network on Sundays. Every Monday and Tuesday, Booker T and I are streaming live on the Reality Wrestling YouTube channel for our show Hall of Fame, talking about all things combat sports. And check out the most recent episodes of my Back to the Future show, Back to the Future, the podcast. We're in season six, and the last three weeks I've had Leah Thompson on from wow. who played Lorraine. I had Don Folove who played Goldie Wilson, and then today we had Ryan Parker who broke the news and broke the story about Marty's parents not recognizing him in the future. So go check out those if you're a big Back to the Future fan, and you know just hit me up on Twitter. I love to talk wrestling, showdown movies, whatever you want. Man, uh, have you have you uh, reached out to Crispin Glover? Is that a possibility? Oh, he was the debut episode of this season. I had Crispin oh, Glover wow. so. I just need. I got to go back and Fox. listen to that. Yeah, I just need Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, and and uh, Thomas F. Wilson. I've I've pretty much you know run the gambit there. I'd love to have James Tolkien as well, who played Principal Strickland. So uh, I've been I've been real lucky this season to um to have a lot of those actors on. And of course, everybody in the Schmodown, you might know me as the boat, but if you listen to that Leah Thompson interview, she calls me the Dream Boat. So that might oh, be my all name. right. <laughs> Dude, man, I had the biggest crush on her when I was a little kid from that movie. Oh, I know. And then when I turned about 14, I saw all the right moves and that crush elevated to even a higher level. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's awesome, man. Really happy for, for all the uh, your success here, man. Congratulations and looking forward to a lot more out of you here in the future. Um, I appreciate hey, it. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, man. Uh, David B., sir. Where can the yeah. folks find you at? And what do you got going on? Uh, anything coming up that you want people to check out? Uh, yeah, you can find me on all socials at 
David B Music Twenty One on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, currently, because of the circumstances that we're in, I have nothing really coming out so far. Um, besides just working on Schmodown related themes, a couple of podcast themes, but um, yeah, uh, keep an eye out on those. Maybe Christian will do another like little block on SCN Live of just the stuff I've written. Um, depending on when this comes out, this comes out the weekend, right? I should be on backstage on Tuesday to discuss the themes and the backstories and all that stuff on Tuesday. So maybe keep an eye out for that on the uh, SCN network. Um, awesome. And yeah, and uh, occasionally you can find me here. Uh, I did a a podcast with uh, Rachel last night too. If you want to go check that out, that was really fun too. Yes, it was fun. I can vouch for that. I was there for the entire thing and it was a hell of a lot of fun. It was a two hour marathon and (laughs) I would not have mind going longer than that. It was, it was very interesting and very fun. Me and Rachel kept talking for like a solid hour and a half after, after we locked out. So (laughs) that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, as for me guys, if you want to check me out, you can follow me on the Twitter at J Wade 1134. That is the letter J W A D E one, one, three, four. Um, that sounded funny there. I just realized that W A D there's only one E there. It's all right. David knows me well, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. David knows me well. He's sitting there going, dude, just 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 don't get off track here. We're we're like at the last minute. Don't start going off track and then we'll be here ten minutes later and I've rambled on about some stupid shit, which happens all the time. But no, find me at the Twitter at the J Wade eleven thirty four. Also follow Merck with a movie blog at movie blog Merck. And uh go over to Anchor is where I usually direct people easier, uh I find that way for uh, for our shows here, the Mark with the Movie blog feed over there. Thank you guys for joining us here, and we will be back next week. I've got a special guest co-host, uh, uh, Kelsey Kirkland from Call to Action, will be my guest co-host next week. Uh, looking forward to that. Going to be a lot of fun. I like I like the shit they do over there. Good people over there and good content. So uh, thanks, guys, for joining us. Thanks again to David B. for your help. Thank you, Brad, for your time tonight. And everybody, be safe out there. We'll talk to you next week.